It's a favorite formula for getting someone to comply before being granted something. Maybe you've used the phrase, say the magic words. But do Christians have their own version of this? Welcome to episode 15 of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. In today's study, we'll begin exploring the difference between love and obedience. And while these two dynamics are related, I think we all know they're not always connected. Here's George to dig into this concept. This is chapter 12 on obedience and love. God's concern is always about love, always about loving relationship, always about building up and not harming. It is not about the mere fulfillment of obligations, of following religious rules, behaviors, rituals, practices, or morality. In fact, these are often substituted for love out of a desire to please or control God, to impose one's will on others, or because the challenge of love is too great. Following the rules replaces love. But true love transcends the rules and gives us freedom from them. For many Christians, the thrust of what I just said is uncomfortable, perhaps even frightening. The claims do not fit our concept of Christian morality and behavior. Yet listen to Paul's words from Galatians 5. So Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ cannot help you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey all of the regulations in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive everything promised to us who are right with God through faith. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, it makes no difference to God whether we are circumcised or not circumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. That's Paul. Circumcision was one of the many ritual practices and traditions used to show that people were obedient to the law. Paul uses it here to illustrate how we mistakenly try to make ourselves right with God by following the law. Yet obedience to religious tradition, whether the law of Moses or any other regulations a church has about worship, tradition, or conformity to doctrine and belief— is something we hear taught in church, usually in ways that seem to contradict what Paul says. That is, we believe that doing certain things a certain way, perhaps even in good order, is necessary to please God, to gain his approval, his response, even his love. So it's confusing, isn't it? We need to spend some time trying to understand this more deeply. Now, I'm not suggesting we simply toss out all the rules, and neither is Paul. Many of them serve us well as a community, 
help enforce boundaries and safety, and tell us what to reasonably expect and how to treat each other. These are helpful, even a blessing. Our own church has rules about appropriate touch, and these are a good example. These guidelines are available to everyone in our church. We publish them because ours is a high-touch church. People who have been here a while hug when they see each other in the church or even on the street. It's common for us. Yet there are ways that touch can be inappropriate and can feel like a violation or a threat to safety. So we've set out some guidelines for appropriate touch, not because we believe they're necessary in order for God to approve of us, but rather because we care for God's people. We love them and want to treat them in a way that encourages a sense of safety. And this helps all of us to be open to the movement of God in our lives. The problem Jesus, Paul, and many of the writers of both the Old and New Testament address about rules, the law, and religious tradition is something different. It's about a basic misapprehension of the character and nature of God. God does not tell us that if we do things in just a certain way, he will approve of us. And if we do other things, like pray or cook or weave or baptize or take communion in just a certain way, he will act as we want him to. This is a false view of God and couldn't be less helpful. Let's look at some examples of things we do when we misunderstand God when we are obedient in an unhealthy or mistaken way. And this brings us to more unmagical thinking. Just a little bit ago, I talked about a magical view of God. Here, I'll expand on it. It's a key to understanding for us that will illuminate much of how we understand God and our faith. And I hope it will help us set aside some issues that have divided Christians for centuries. Let's start with a legend from Greek mythology, Achilles the warrior. He died in battle when a poisoned arrow, shot by Paris and guided by Apollo, struck his heel, his only weak spot. When he was born, his mother Thetis dipped him in the river Styx to try to make him immortal. But because she held him by his heel— The heel did not touch the water and thus remained vulnerable. So when Paris' arrow hit his heel, he died. To this day, the term Achilles' heel denotes a fatal flaw or weakness. This is an example of magical thinking, that the water of the sticks made immortal only those parts of the body that it actually touched. Do we Christians do magical thinking, as in this Greek myth? Yes, we do, in a number of ways. One has to do with water, baptism. Generations of Roman Catholics and other Christians believed that if a child died without being baptized, he or she did not go to heaven. Many still believe this today. I can't imagine How many parents' hearts have been broken when a child died before the priest got there to perform baptism? 
Or, for that matter, how many baptisms priests perform to this day, even after a child has died, because the parents fear that if it's not done, then that child will not go to heaven. If this is true, it doesn't say much about God's goodness. But it isn't true. Protestants have magical thinking, too. Personally, I believe that full immersion baptism is the most symbolic and meaningful of all methods of baptism and was probably the most common in the early church. Some Protestants argue that if you are not baptized by full immersion, you're not really baptized and therefore not really saved and not really a part of the body of Christ. They refer to baptism by pouring or sprinkling water as Satan's counterfeit. Not to put too fine a point on it, but what constitutes full immersion? If your heel doesn't get wet, are you still saved? How about if 51% of your body gets wet? Is that enough? 33%? 95%? Or more bluntly, is Jesus' sacrifice for me rendered impotent if my baptism is not done properly? Is his power great enough to save me if I am fully immersed, but insufficient if the water is only poured on me, or if I am not baptized at all? The issue of getting baptism just right or losing salvation is an example of magical thinking. If the ritual is wrong, the magic doesn't work. The flaw is that Christians don't do magic, not ever. We have a sovereign God who is present and who acts. When we pray, when we lay hands, when we bless, we are not managing spiritual forces. We are inviting God's presence. He acts, not our magic or ritual or method. God is present. And he moves, touches, and changes things as he wills, not as we direct. Here is another example. I grew up in a church that completely rejected the idea that miracles still happened. It would never have occurred to us to lay hands on someone who was ill and ask God for their healing. This changed when, as an adult, I witnessed a profound physical healing following prayer. Later, as a pastor, I wanted our church to learn how to be open to this and invite God's healing touch. We sought out others with more experience to teach us. We went many places to be trained. We learned by standing next to and praying with people who had long experience in healing prayer. We were discipled by them. We learned by use and practice. Actually, the root of the word disciple, that's what it means, to learn by use and practice. And so we did. Thanks, George. We'll continue this discussion after a short break. A reminder that you can get your own copy of the book, What We Believe and Why, by going to the website of the same name, whatwebelieveandwhy.com. It makes a great study guide for individual pursuit and for group use as well. We'll be back with more in just a moment. 